You're unmuted. Good afternoon and welcome back colleagues and members of the public to our first meeting in September. Today, September 5th, uh, as we return from our summer legislative recess, I hope everybody had a safe and relaxing time away and are ready to get back to work. Madam Clerk, would you please call the roll? Yes, Mr. President, I apologize for the echo. We're going to take care of that right away. Uh, Supervisor Chan. Chan present, Supervisor Dorsey. Present. Dorsey present, Supervisor Engardio. Engardio present, Supervisor Mandelman. Present. Mandelman present, Supervisor Melgar. Melgar present, Supervisor Peskin. Present. Peskin present, Supervisor Preston. Preston present, Supervisor Ronan. Ronan present, Supervisor Safai. Present. Present. Safai present. present, Supervisor Stephanie. Stephanie present, and Supervisor Walton. Walton present. Mr. President, all members are present. Thank you, Madam Clerk. The San Francisco Board of Supervisors acknowledges that we are on the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramatu Shaloni, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. As the indigenous stewards of this land in accordance with their traditions, the Ramatu Shaloni have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place as well as for all peoples who reside in their traditional territory. As guests, we recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland. We wish to pay our respects by acknowledging the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramatushaloni community and by affirming their sovereign rights as First Peoples. Colleagues, would you please join me in the Pledge of Allegiance? Pledge of Allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Madam Clerk, are there any communications? Yes, Mr. President. The public is welcome to attend this meeting in person in the board's legislative chamber here in City Hall, second floor of City Hall in room 250. To participate remotely, the telephone number and the meeting ID are published on the agenda and streaming on your television or your computer screen. To assist you, we have a clerk standing by in the office of the clerk of the board, which is room 244, or you may call 415-554-5184. If you'd like to send written comments to the members, send a stamped letter via U.S. Post Office address to the San Francisco Board of Supervisors. The number one, Dr. Carlton B. Goodlett Place, Room 244, San Francisco, California, 94102, or send an email to bos at And lastly, we continue to offer interpretation assistance in Chinese, Filipino, and Spanish beginning at 3 p.m. Thank you, Mr. President. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Why don't we go to the approval of our minutes from June 27th and July 11th and the June 26th and June 28th special meeting minutes at the Budget and Appropriations Committee. Roll call, Mr. President, uh, or roll, roll call, call vote? Okay. On the minutes as presented. Oh, yes, Mr. President, we need a first and a second. Oh, motion made by Supervisor Mandelman, and seconded by Supervisor Preston. On that motion, a roll call, please. Supervisor Dorsey. Aye. 
Dorsey, aye. <coughs> Excuse me. Supervisor Engardio. Engardio, aye. Supervisor Mandelman. Aye. Mandelman, aye. Supervisor Melgar. Aye. Melgar, aye. Supervisor Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. Supervisor Preston. Preston, aye. Supervisor Ronan. Ronan, aye. Supervisor Safayi. Aye. Safayi, aye. Supervisor Stephanie. Stephanie, aye. Supervisor Walton. Walton, aye. And Supervisor Chan. Chan, aye. There are 11 ayes. The minutes will be adopted as presented after public comment. Madam Clerk, would you please call the adoption, uh, the consent calendar? <clears throat> Excuse me. Items one through six are on consent, and these items are considered to be routine. If a member objects, an item may be removed and considered separately. Seeing no names on the roster on the consent agenda, a roll call, please. On items one through six, Supervisor Dorsey. Dorsey, aye. Supervisor Engardio. Engardio, aye. Supervisor Mandelman. Aye. Mandelman, aye. Supervisor Melgar. Melgar, aye. Supervisor Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. Supervisor Preston. Preston, aye. Supervisor Ronan. Ronan, aye. Supervisor Safai. Aye. Safai, aye. Supervisor Stephanie. Stephanie, aye. Supervisor Walton. Walton, aye. And Supervisor Chan. Chan, aye. There are 11 ayes. Those resolutions are adopted and ordinances finally passed. Madam Clerk, could you please read item 7 and 8 together? Item 7, this is an ordinance to amend the planning and building codes to modify development impact fees, indexing, deferral, and waivers, and to adopt the San Francisco citywide nexus analysis to and to affirm the CEQA determination and to make the appropriate findings. Item 8 is the ordinance that amends the planning and administrative codes for development impact fee reductions and also affirms the CEQA determination, making the appropriate findings. On those two items, a roll call, please. On items seven and eight, Supervisor Dorsey. Dorsey, aye. Supervisor Engardio. Engardio, aye. Supervisor Mandelman. Mandelman, aye. Supervisor Melgar. Melgar, aye. Supervisor Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. Supervisor Preston. No. Preston, no. Supervisor Ronan. Ronan, aye. Supervisor Safai. Aye. Safai, aye. Supervisor Stephanie. Stephanie, aye. Supervisor Walton. Walton, aye. And Supervisor Chan. Chan, aye. There are 10 ayes and one no with Supervisor Preston voting no. Those ordinances are finally passed. Madam Clerk, could you please read items 9 through 11 together? Items 9 through 11 uh, are ordinances that authorize the settlement of lawsuits filed by the following uh, uh, filed by the city uh, and the people of the state of California against Walgreens uh, for item 9 in the amount of $229 million. Item 10 authorizes settlement of the lawsuit filed by the city and the people of the state of California against Cephalon Inc., Teva Pharmaceuticals USA Inc., and related entities for $24.8 million. Item 11 is the ordinance to authorize settlement of the lawsuit filed by the city and the people of the state of California against Allergen Finance LLC for approximately 12.9 million. These lawsuits uh, pertain to allegations uh, pertaining to a public nuisance and violation under the 
unfair competition law by falsely and misleadingly marketing opioids as safer than they actually were, and distributing increasingly large volumes of opioids in and around San Francisco despite knowledge of the growing epidemic. Supervisor Preston. Thank you, President uh, Peskin, and uh, very uh, just wanted to briefly address these. We obviously had these in, in uh, GAO, and, and I really just wanted to uh, take a moment to thank um, our uh, city attorney, David Chu, and his team uh, for their work to secure these crucial uh, settlements on behalf of, of our city. Um, just last week, uh, the entire nation observed Overdose Awareness Day, and I was proud to participate in a rally on the steps of City Hall uh, in observance of Overdose Awareness Day. Um, and while this is certainly not a crisis that uh, exists only in San Francisco, I think we all know that one does not have to travel very far from this building uh, to see some of its devastating effects. Um, securing these funds for our city uh, will help ensure that we have the resources to address this issue both in the short and long term. Um, and I would just urge uh, the administration and the Department of Public Health to make sure that there is transparency in the use of these funds um, and to ensure that the funds are spent on things that will help us save lives, including overdose prevention efforts, wellness hubs, treatment on demand and programs that will help people remain in recovery. And I know we'll be talking about a lot of these issues uh, later this month uh, on the hearings called by uh, Supervisor Ronan. Um, and uh, not to put you on the spot, but through the President, um, uh, Deputy City Attorney uh, Pearson, I just wanted to, if there are any uh, particular members of the City Attorney's Office, I know we've had a number of folks through the committee as we've been uh, talking about these settlements long ago and then following up and hearing them just wanted to give you an opportunity if it's okay with the president to to uh, recognize or some of the folks who've put so much work into these major settlements absolutely madam deputy city attorney deputy city attorney ann pearson thank you for the opportunity and i'm just terrified I'm going to forget many, many people. Um, but I do want to highlight the work of many of the people who've been working on the litigation. It's been led by Yvonne Murray, Sarah Eisenberg, and John George have done a lot of the heavy lifting, but they've been supported by other attorneys and our legal staff. Um, it's been a very heavy lift, along with outside counsel, who've been a great help to us. Thank you, and uh, congratulations. Appreciate all the work. Thank you, Supervisor Preston, Supervisor Ronan. Yes, thank you. Um, likewise, appreciate all the, all the work and just had a couple of questions for the controller's office about sort of logistics after the fact. Um, and the first question is, what are there any city procedures that are different from our normal appropriation procedures um, that are that that exist or could exist or will exist? Maybe I should start with that currently exist for the for the allocation of this money good afternoon <clears throat> good afternoon supervisors ben rosenfield controller supervisor ronan through the president um and the city attorney's office here can help me if i if i miss any of the specific provisions covered in the settlement agreements but in general the each of these settlement agreements um mandates a special fund into which the proceeds are deposited. We maintain segregated accounts for each of the settlements, uh, each of which has slightly different reporting and eligible use requirements associated with them. Mm -hmm. um, our office will be tracking and um, 
keeping these segregated accounts in place. Um, it does create kind of a complicated set of eligible uses, which will have to be grappled with every year as part of the budget process. Mm -hmm. um, and we will do, be doing, as the settlements call for, regular reporting publicly to the board and in some cases back to the courts on how pro proceeds are being used and whether they're ensuring that they're in line with the specific settlement agreements. Mm -hmm. So there's no, there's no specific procedures that exist internally within the city for allocation or use of this money outside of the norm? Um, th there are a lot of procedures that will govern kind of ensuring that these funds are spent in line with the settlements. I, I, they're not outside the norm in the sense that we have term, literally hundreds of special restricted funds in the city that require mm -hmm. kind of work by our team in the controller's office and department teams and our external auditors and a host of other things. I'm not aware of anything that's kind of outside that okay. complicated normal. Thank you. And then my second question is you, at, at, at different parts of this settlement process with, with the various different companies that contributed to the opioid crisis, you had created, you or the city attorney's office, I'm not sure, these really helpful charts <laughs> where, you know, you talked about each, because each settlement is under, you know, has a different time period and a different amount of money. And it sort of said when money would be available at different times through each settlement. And I, I did talk to city attorney Ann Pearson before, and my understanding that that chart has not been updated since January. But if it would be possible to update that chart, it was so helpful. Um, and I, I doubt you have these numbers at your fingertips right now, no problem, but if you could get to us um, the information about what, what part of these settlements has been allocated in this year's, or in our current budget, and what's, what's left in what year to allocate. I would be happy to follow up on that multi-year schedule. I think our office and city attorney's office worked on it together. It is a complicated set of flows because in some cases these payments are flowing in over a nearly 20-year horizon. Um, in general, those, those payments are front-loaded, meaning that the early years uh, have much larger payments coming to the city under these. Um, I know that the budget uh, that was recently adopted by the mayor and the board appropriated approximately $100 million in settlement proceeds over the next two years, the year we're now in and next okay. fiscal year. Um, I can, as part of our update to this chart, kind of summarize the last part of your question, which is of the amount that we have, we're now scheduled to receive, how much has been appropriated and allocated versus unappropriated at this point. I don't have that information with me, but it would be easy enough for us to update and get Great. to you. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Of course. Supervisor Dorsey. Thank you, President Peskin. I just wanted to um, add my uh, appreciation to the city attorney's office and to my colleague, Dean Preston, for acknowledging some of the great work um, done by our city attorney's office. You know, most of my career was spent um, in that office, and I think some of the heroic work um, that is done there, uh, sometimes I think we can take it for granted, and I definitely appreciate um, it, Deputy City Attorney Pearson's uh, concerns about missing somebody because if, if there's one thing that I did learn in that office is that there are from you know paralegals and others who just do so much great work in that office and it was something that uh, is the highlight of my career congratulations to the city attorney's office on this great result 
Madam Clerk, on the items, a roll call, please. On items 9 through 11, Supervisor Dorsey. Aye. Dorsey, aye. Supervisor Engardio. Aye. Engardio, aye. Supervisor Mandelman. Aye. Mandelman, aye. Supervisor Melgar. Aye. Melgar, aye. Supervisor Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. Supervisor Preston. Aye. Preston, aye. Supervisor Ronan. Aye. Ronan, aye. Supervisor Safayi. Aye. Safayi, aye. Supervisor Stephanie. Aye. Stephanie, aye. Supervisor Walton. Walton, aye, and Supervisor Chan. Chan, aye. There are 11 ayes. Those ordinances are passed on first reading. Madam Clerk, let's go to roll call for introductions. Yes, Mr. President, you, uh, recognition of meritorious service, Mr. President, or did you say roll call for intro? I said roll call. Recognition of commendations okay. will be at 2.30 and 13 uh, okay. minutes. Okay, okay. Yes, Supervisor Dorsey, you are first up to introduce new business. Submit, thank you, Supervisor Engardio. Submit, thank you, Supervisor Mandelman. Uh, thank you, Madam Clerk. Today, I am introducing a resolution to proclaim September Transit Month in the city and county of San Francisco. Since 2016, San Francisco Transit Riders has organized an annual transit celebration to encourage more people to use public transit and to celebrate transit riders and operators for the vital role they play toward creating a more sustainable and livable San Francisco. In 2021, Transit Week expanded to an annual Transit Month, and last year, SF Transit Riders added a ride contest challenge to encourage residents and elected officials to proudly log their trips on public transit. Congrats to Supervisor Preston for winning last year's challenge among our local elected officials. Uh, and it was great to see so many of you at this morning's ride along and rally on the City Hall steps as we kick off this year's festivities. I want to thank Nick Levy, Vanita Goyal, staff and volunteers from SF Transit Riders for organizing these events. There's much more to come and I encourage you to check out all the events at sftransitriders.org and the rest I submit. Thank you, Supervisor Mandelman. Supervisor Melgar. Submit, thank you. Supervisor Peskin. Submit. Submit, thank you. Supervisor Preston. Thank you, Madam Clerk, um, and welcome back everyone from the recess. Uh, two items um, that I have first uh, today, I'm introducing a resolution urging the Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing to immediately fill at least half of the vacant permanent supportive housing units in their portfolio within 90 days and to maintain a vacancy rate that does not exceed 5% going forward. Um, permanent supportive housing, as you all know, is a proven model uh, to provide stable housing for people experiencing homelessness, um, where vulnerable people can tend to their physical and mental health in a stable environment with support services. This benefits the entire community. Um, according to the 2022 point time count, there were 7,754 people experiencing homelessness in San Francisco, consisting of uh, 3,357 people in temporary shelters and 4,397 people uh, unsheltered. According to the latest data from HSH, over 1,000 units of permanent supportive housing in the city's portfolio are sitting empty, which is over 10% of the city's total number of permanent supportive housing units. Over 700 of these units are ready for referral right now. 
Supportive housing providers are ready and eager to move people in. And to be clear, colleagues, these rooms are fully funded and specifically for unhoused people. This is not a new problem with vacancies. Vacancies in supportive housing rose sharply uh, in 2021 and have remained unacceptably high since then, um, averaging 10 per, about 10% monthly over the last two years. Uh, we just cannot tolerate any further delays moving people who need a place to live into these vacant units. Um, I want to thank my early co-sponsors, President Peskin, uh, Supervisors Walton and Chan. Um, look forward uh, to others sponsoring and, uh, and, and also look forward to supporting HSH um, as they move hopefully with renewed urgency to meet this goal and provide immediate housing for at least 500 people who are currently unhoused in these currently vacant uh, permanent supportive housing units. Um, and the second item um, is a, uh, another resolution uh, for introduction. This is uh, a resolution uh, submitted with President Peskin um, ex expressing uh, our concern over the development of the pilot uh, UN Plaza activation plan um, and uh, specifically the displacement of the heart of the city farmers market um, and the resolution urges uh, Rec Park to provide clarity around uh, this pilot and also to adopt mitigations requested by the farmers market. Uh, the heart of the city farmers market is an incredible market it has brought so much to the neighborhood for decades and really has been a bright spot in uh, what are otherwise very challenging uh, conditions that we're all familiar with on UN Plaza. Um, through severe challenges over the years, including uh, the conditions on the plaza, including uh, droughts uh, and other impacts on farmers, uh, recessions and so forth. The, the heart of the city farmers market has managed to survive 42 years, 42 years on UN Plaza. Um, the, the farmers market serves more than 20,000 people on Wednesdays and Sundays um, where folks shop for seasonal fresh fruits, vegetables, and other staples. Uh, these things are sold by more than 50 California farmers, many of whom travel for hours to sell their produce uh, here on UN Plaza. Uh, the heart of this, less known is that the heart of the city farmers market also manages distribution and redemption for the largest farmers market uh, EBT program in the nation. Uh, and makes over $1 million per year in grant-funded incentives to help low-income families purchase fruits and vegetables uh, from local farms. In July, uh, the Rec Park Department filed plans for an activation of UN Plaza, uh, described as a pilot, uh, which included installing a skate park and other recreational activities on the plaza in November 2023 and moving the farmer's market off of UN Plaza onto Fulton Plaza in December, which in fact uh, happened this uh, past weekend. These developments happened without input from the community, without even a community meeting, and with no clear commitments from the farmer's market on the length, to the farmer's market, excuse me, on the length of the pilot or the measures the city would undertake to mitigate the impact of this move 
on the farmer's market. The failure to involve community members in the development of plans for UN Plaza simply does not comport with city goals around equity, conflicts with work led by the planning department in the neighborhood, and raises serious questions regarding differential treatment of low-income neighborhoods when compared to how projects are planned and implemented in more affluent neighborhoods in our city. We've heard a number of concerns about how this will impact the farmer's market and its farmers and patrons, including uh, the concerning discrepancy between uh, what the director of the farmer's market and community leaders understood to be a six-month pilot with the opportunity for the farmer's market to return onto UN Plaza should the transition not be successful. That six-month pilot was later described just a couple weeks ago by Rec Park as a two-year pilot. This reg resolution urges Rec Park to provide necessary information to the public, including the duration of the pilot, the itemized cost and source of funds, detailed plans, the metrics for evaluating the pilot, the commitments to the farmer's market, the metrics for evaluating the success of the farmer's market in the new location of Fulton Plaza, and the plan for returning the farmer's market to UN Plaza if the temporary relocation is not successful. And I want to be clear, my office is 100% committed to making sure that the farmer's market survives and thrives. I want to thank Board Pres uh, President Peskin, as I mentioned, not just for co-sponsoring this, um, but for his active engagement and leadership on this issue. Also want to recognize the Tenderloin People's Congress, which took the lead in organizing a huge rally on the steps of City Hall to register their concerns. Uh, and Steve Pulliam, the head of the farmer's market, uh, for all of his work over the years and uh, his advocacy for the farmer's market. I uh, also want to thank the many patrons of the farmer's market who have reached out, and so many people have reached out. This is a beloved market and an important uh, part of our community. I also want to recognize my legislative aide, Jennifer Bolin, for all her work um, on this issue. Uh, at the end of the day, we all want UN Plaza and the farmer's market to thrive, and I hope this resolution helps move us toward a better situation for everyone involved. The rest I submit. Thank you, Supervisor Preston. Supervisor Ronan. Thank you so much. Colleagues, I'm going to stand, which I never usually do, um, because the remarks that I want to make are to you all. And so I know that we often all, including me, tune out when we're doing roll call, because it's the one moment we're allowed to do that and, and do everything else. But I really want to catch you all up as my colleagues on what's been going on during the legislative break and in general around wellness centers in the city. So if you can indulge me with your intention for just a few minutes, I would deeply, deeply appreciate it. I wrote it all down because it's this important for me, for you to all hear it. Um, as you know, I have been working really hard to open wellness centers, three of them, in San Francisco, one in the Mission, one in the Tenderloin, and one in the Soma neighborhoods. Um, the hope is that when we successfully get these three wellness centers open, that we can open three more next year. Because if we had six wellness centers in the city to save people's lives dying from overdose, we could move the needle on this crisis at least somewhat. 
Wellness centers are the main component of the city's overdose prevention plan that is meant to save lives. Um, the mayor promised that we would have wellness centers in the neighborhoods when she closed the Tenderloin Center. I recently organized, arranged, and raised money for a large city contingent to visit On Point, New York's version of a wellness center, um, and to meet leaders in Rhode Island that were planning to open wellness centers in their city so that we could learn about their best practices when we emulated them and opened them here in San Francisco. The wellness centers that we visited in New York had a number of services they offered. Everyone likes to get hung up on the OPC, the one room where people use drugs under supervision of people that are able to reverse overdoses. That is one small part of an, a wellness center. Well, the wellness centers we visited in New York, although they can vary wherever they are, they had counseling, both group counseling, individual counseling, they had acupuncture, uh, foot baths, wound care, hot meals, napping space, fluff and fold laundry, uh, machines to test the chemical components in any particular drug so you knew what you were, you were taking, harm reduction supplies, appointments with primary care physicians, etc. cetera. Ton, a ton of different services. Um, the centers also had an overdose prevention room, the OPCs, the one everyone talks, the thing everyone talks about. Um, and that's the room, it's one part of a center, it's separated from the rest of the services where people take drugs under the supervision of a medical professional who can reverse an overdose. Normally using oxygen and ch uh, chest activation before Narcan because it's the better way to reverse an overdose. So, so you know, on the streets, people can only use Narcan. In OPCs, they can use oxygen in these less invasive and detrimental uh, um, uh, tactics in order to revive someone and prevent their death. But what struck me the most about the visit was not the OPCs. Um, it was the number one goal of On Point, and that was to keep the people that were suffering from drug use disorder inside in their center as long as possible. And that's what they do with all of the services, the fluff and fold laundry, the acupuncture, the, the foot baths, the meals, the sleeping places. It's to keep them inside. Why? Because the longer they keep them inside, the longer they're engaged in healthier activities and not dying on the streets from drug overdose. But even more importantly, the longer they keep them inside, the longer the, the staff is building meaningful, healthy relationships with these people. And these are people that have been thrown out by society. These are people that are homeless, that are so severely addicted to drugs that their entire life revolves around their next fix so that they can prevent the withdrawal symptoms, which are debilitating. So it's not like pe these people are not getting a great high in the street and partying. What they're doing is they're trying to stop withdrawal symptoms, which are the most painful thing that those of us who, who never had to go through them can imagine. Um, it's often the first place that they've ever been loved and respected because many of these people have come from traumatic lives, right? They, they, they started the drug use to either stop physical pain in their bodies or mental pain in their minds. Um, and so these are the one places where they aren't looked at as the dregs of society. They're looked at as real human beings that deserve to be loved and cared for. 
And so it's that relationship building that often then leads to the person having enough hope and enough maybe the beginnings of self-love to enter a treatment program, which is ultimately the goal of everyone, right? Uh, opioids and uh, fentanyl are not a recreational drug. They are a drug that you either get off and abstain from or you're pretty sick for the most part if you're, if you're really addicted. So the ultimate goal for everyone is, is abstinence, but to keep them alive long enough uh, so that they can, they can get into a recovery program. Now, uh, because OPCs, and we've talked about it a lot, and, and I thank you for indulging me with the closed session with the city attorney, are stuck in this legal quagmire, um, we can't say immediately when these OPCs will open in San Francisco. Uh, what our city attorney has told us is that under the New York model, when they're privately funded, um, that he's, he's ready to sign up on them but you need infrastructure to make that happen. You need a physical space, you need staff, you need all the other services that I mentioned that happen in wellness centers, um, and then you need the, the organization that's gonna run the program to raise money for the OPC and to get approval from their board to operate it because they're taking on some, some risk, right? So that, it's like, it's like a chicken and an egg situation. If you don't open the wellness center with all that infrastructure, how do you get the board of that organization to prove and raise money for the OPC. Yes, because it, it's, it's too far from reality. So the first step in opening OPCs and wellness centers are to get that wellness center opened in the first place. There is one nonprofit that can open the OPC immediately on the day that they open the wellness center. That nonprofit has already raised the money and already has permission from their board. The other nonprofits that wanna open OPCs the staff would do it tomorrow if they could. In fact, we all just did a, an action where we did it on the streets and saved two lives in three hours, two lives of people that would probably have died had we not been in the area. In three hours, watched two people be resuscitated. It was an awful thing to watch. Um, and, um, sorry, I stopped reading. This is why I wrote it down so that I wouldn't get all over the place, but I, this, is, this means so much to me, I, I just go up. So, um, uh, so, so we need this, the, 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 this, this infrastructure to make this real, you guys. We can't, we can't open an OPC tomorrow unless we have the wellness center open. After we improved $19 million in the budget to open three wellness centers this fiscal year and before the legislative break, I was meeting bi-weekly with DPH, Supervisor Dorsey's office, and Supervisor Preston's office, and the three nonprofits who wished to open uh, to operate the OPCs and the wellness centers in the neighborhoods. We were making progress, you guys. We were on our way to opening these centers. And to, to figure out all the logistics and all the infrastructure we needed to figure out in order to open. It's not easy. We need to secure buildings in some cases. We need to hire staff. We need the security arrangements. We need to decide the service mix. We need an annual budget. Like, you know what it takes. We all know what it takes to open one. We have to open three. And it's, and it's, the first time we're doing this in a, in, in, in a sanctioned way. So we were figuring that all out. We were meeting weekly with TPH, we were figuring it all out. And then when we were on legislative break, Supervisor Dorsey put out a press release asking the mayor to transfer the $19 million that we just approved from the wellness centers instead to fund jail health services. 
And I want to make a few brief points about that. Number one, I've spoken to the leadership of Gel Health Services, and they are clear that they do not need any more money. That is a matter of fact, the biggest problem they face is that they have plenty of money to hire 27 vacant positions, but that they cannot even get the applicants to even interview to even staff those services. That's their problem, not money. Number two, uh, and this is what I was saying, that this position puts us in a really weird place. You're never going to open the OPCs without the Wellness Center, but according to Supervisor Dorsey, you can't open the Wellness Center without the OPC, and so we're just going to be stuck forever and not progress and move forward. It, it, it doesn't make sense. It's, it's, it's never going to happen then. You're basically saying, we will not offer these life-saving services to people that are dying three people a day now, not two, because we're set to break records. Um, and then finally, I, I do want to mention that there is one area of agreement, and I, I'm really excited to say that uh, I met with the mayor uh, last week on Friday, and she agrees as well, um, that we have to open all three centers at the same time. If you just open one, it's not fair to that neighborhood, right? There's just too many people that would overwhelm it. You've got to open the three at the same time so that no one neighborhood is overwhelmed by the need for, the, for these centers. And so we're all, we're all in agreement on something. We need to open these all at the same time. The mayor is on board with that. Meanwhile, as we collectively get our act together to open these wellness centers, which gets harder and harder every time the issue is politicized, I can't tell you we were on our way, and now we've just taken like 100 steps back, um, the goal gets pushed further out. And we lose more lives uh, than, any, than any other way in San Francisco's history. Um, last week, I, I, I told you on Overdose Prevention Week, we set up a rogue, you know, civil disobedience, a uh, couple tens, um, to show just like this isn't nefarious OPCs. Like all we're doing is trying to make sure nobody dies. That's all. <laughs> like if you, if you die in front of us, we will resuscitate you. And that is so important because fentanyl is so much more fast-acting than heroin. Heroin, you could call 911. The paramedics could get there in time to revive something. Fentanyl, often you go blue within minutes, and you can't wait for the paramedics to save your life. Um, so, uh, you know, um, I, I, I just want to end by saying that no drug user is alike. Drug users often become addicts because of the need, as I said, to mask pain, just so much pain. I mean, we settled these lawsuits, you know, that these lawsuits were about physical pain. Purdue Pharma and all of those, the Sackler family and those horrible people, they tried to get people with physical, chronic physical pain addicted to opioids to make money, and they were successful, and then it went haywire. So those were people with physical pain. But many people have mental trauma that grew up in the foster care system, that never had parents that were abused, raped, molested. I mean, people trying to escape a horrible past. And while some drug users will respond to tough love, some won't. All they've ever known is consequences that are unfair and harsh and mean and punitive. They've never known actual love or acceptance or kindness in their lives. So that won't work with some people. It, everyone's different. Um, what might work for someone who's housed and employed 
might not work for someone who's homeless and in the streets. What, what might work for a white man with privilege might not work for a woman of color with none. Um, we need it all. We need harm reduction. We need abstinence. We need it all. We need to meet, it, meet the need where, where people are at. And let me just say, we closed down this entire city for over a year because of COVID. We don't seem to have the urgency over overdoses, despite the fact that the amount of people dying from overdose every year is greater than everybody we lost during COVID. And guess what? The number that are black and brown are so out of proportion with their numbers. This is a racial justice issue. And this is just like, are you a human being that cares about the lives of other human beings? Well, we have this proven way <coughs> of saving their lives. It's <coughs> operating in 200 countries all around the world. What happened to Can Do San Francisco? The, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good when we know we can save lives. If you really care about saving lives, you'd open these yesterday. If it's about other things for you, then you're going to make all sorts of excuses. Watch it. Watch it. There is a lot of work and co coordination that must happen to open these three wellness centers. I'm currently working very closely with the mayor's office on this uh, so that she can give a clear ma mandate to DPH to get this done. Because every time you talk to DPH, they don't know what their mandate is. They're like, we were told to open this, but now Supervisor Dorsey's press release, we don't know what's going on. We don't know if, so they're paralyzed. They're absolutely paralyzed. So the first thing that needs to be happen is a clear mandate from the mayor, open these. And then I will work crazily 24 hours a day to get them open because it's gonna be a ton of work and we've gotta do it because these are lives. These are three lives a day that we're losing. And so, um, I want to say that it's true that the majority of pub public drug use happens in my district, in Preston's district, in Dorsey's district, but this is a crisis that deserves everybody's attention. When three people die a day in your city from a preventable cause, it requires all of our attention. And I will continue to lead and fight like crazy to get these centers open, and hopefully as soon as possible that each one will have an OPC in them, but remember, the Wellness Center alone is useful and will save lives, even if the OPC doesn't start with that center on day one. So it's important nonetheless, and it's essential to getting the OPCs open, is to have the Wellness Centers open. Um, and so I'm just asking each and every one of you to join me in this fight. Uh, we've got to do something. This is the worst crisis of a preventable death that I've seen in this city, and we can't allow it anymore. It's not okay. This is our job to be leaders, to be leaders and to stop these deaths. I don't care where the political tides are turning. I don't care if neighbors don't want it in one place or another. These are people's lives. These are people's lives. And we're losing three people a day. And so I just want to thank you so much for listening to me. I really felt like I needed to put a context to the fight that's being had on paper and in social media. I needed to explain to you what was happening on the ground when you try to like open these things, like what is happening, what does DPH think, the mayor, all of those things. I needed you to know what's happening so you won't be confused by politically motivated press releases or, or newspaper articles that don't get it right. I, I wanted you to be with me and I will continue to give you updates every week on the progress we've made. The firm ask I have to the mayor, and I'll find out right after this meeting, 
uh, if it's a yes, I'm really hoping it is, is that uh, I meet with the mayor's office weekly, DPH, city attorney, and police, and that we, we meet, and the nonprofits, uh, before any RFPs go out, <laughs> um, that might be interested in operating this, and that every week we have a weekly plan, we have a monthly plan, we have a six-month plan, and we just make progress, 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 and get those things open in, in, in short time. So I'll give updates along the way, but I'm just really hoping that I have your support because uh, we got to do more. Thank you. Oh, and I, and I am inter introducing a, a resolution which will do nothing because uh, it's the action that matters, uh, but a resolution recognizing um, Overdose Awareness Month. And in that resolution, it does say on the last line uh, that we commit to opening these wellness centers. So I will hope you will join me in uh, voting next week in favor of that resolution. And the rest is submit. Thank you, Supervisor Ronan. Madam Clerk, why don't we go to our 2.30 special order commendation. Yes, Mr. President. This is the recognition of meritorious service to the city and county of San Francisco and its residents. And Supervisor Peskin, you have... Thank you, Madam Clerk. Colleagues, today it is my honor to recognize the Asian Firefighters Association and its members who took personal time off to assist in the relief efforts following uh, the tragic fire in Maui, uh, which we know devastated the city of Lahaina uh, on August 8th, about a month ago. On August 22nd, the AFA organized a team of 12 active and retired firefighters and first responders for a one-week humanitarian mission uh, at Lahaina Gateway Center Distribution Depot, providing aid to the ongoing recovery effort and ensuring fire victims continue to receive food, water, and other necessities. And they even assisted in putting out a fire alongside the Maui Fire Department during their service there. Uh, even prior to their departure, the AFA was able to quickly raise $6,000, which was uh, distributed to families in need, hotel staff at the Royal Lahaina Resort, who were displaced, and the Maui Fire Store, an organization dedicated to supporting firefighters who also lost their homes. Uh, I just wanted to say that we very, very much appreciate you uh, and wanted to publicly acknowledge you. The team returned home last week, and many of them have already gone back to their respective fire stations. Uh, these individuals are standing before you at the podium, the president of the Asian Firefighters Association, Stan Lee, Eric Tanaka, Andrew Lim, Evan Mui, Kaeo Nakua, Danielle Murphy, Daniel Murphy, uh, Robert Duat, James Hanley, Chris Oberzeyer, Tyler Kelly, Paul Chin, who many of you know, who is in civilian garb, retired, uh, Robert Loza, civilian volunteer, and the AFA anticipates a second mission trip in the near future, and if you wish to support their cause, you can visit their charitable foundation website at asianfirefightercharitable.com. Uh, and speaking on behalf of this elite team of volunteers, we have uh, President Stan Lee himself, who was one of the original organizers of the mission. Uh, the chief would be here, but she is at the dentist, but sends her regards. Thank you, President Lee, and your team for your act of solidarity to ensure the Hawaiian community recovers, and the floor is yours. Thank you, President Peskin and the Board of Supervisors for this invite. 
firstly, I would like to thank my team. They are dedicated firefighters. They went beyond the call of duty to travel to Lion and Maui with me, uh, where we, you know, render aid. Also, like to thank Lena Fung, my PR executive. A very, very essential person, instrumental in this happening was uh, firefighter Chui Katake. He could not make it, but he connected us with the individuals that were able to help us organize this trip. Uh, Kirk Osaki and Daniel Young were the ones who actually found us uh, lodgings and work to do when we got there. Uh, of course, uh, there was another individual, the site leader at the relief effort at Lahaina Gateway Center, Chris Lalo. He was the, he, actually he's the husband of an aide to the mayor of Lahaina. Southwest Airline for basically flying us out there for free, the way of Lahaina for uh, finding lodgings for us. Uh, Enterprise Rent-A-Car for giving us exceptional rate, and of course, uh, the Maui Fire Department and the Maui Fire Store for uh, welcoming us there like family, Ohana. We, we really appreciate them. And of course, to our hearts go out to the people of Lahaina and Maui. But a special thank you also to the San Francisco Fire Department, Chief of Department Janine Nicholson, the command staff for allowing us to use our vacation time to travel there. When we got there, we didn't know what to expect because we knew we had lodgings, we knew we had a flight, we knew we had a contact person. We didn't know, quite know what, we, what to expect when, once we got there. But once we got there, we went straight to work. Uh, by the time we got there, it was the end of the day, so we helped secure uh, many of the supplies there for the next day of service. Next day of service came, 7 o'clock in the morning, we were there handing out water. Some of our members were in the kitchen uh, preparing uh, hot meals for the residents there. Uh, so that the board knows, we on average handed out, well, we served about 2,500 residents there and about 450 cars on a daily basis. I believe the kitchen staff served 2,200 meals, hot meals a day. So that shows the magnitude of what was occurring on a daily basis there in Lahaina. Uh, being there, it's, it is like what the news shows you on TV screen. The devastation, the destruction is for real. Where we were working at, traveling to, there, to and from our lodgings, you could see the devastation. Lahaina's basically gone. All, all that standing is you know, a few masonry walls. You know, every once in a while you see a building that somehow survived wildfire that storms through there. Uh, you know, being there, volunteering there, you actually, we were talking to a lot of people. We had to use our people skills, be able to be that shoulder to, for them to, you know, cry on. Because, like, for example, I, I brought this up before. There was one f individual where I was talking to. She was there getting supplies for basically five separate families that were now sheltering in our home. So like when we, something like that happens, our members, you know, we gave these individuals a little more than they needed because we want to make sure, you know, all the families were taken care of, right? And, you know, um, it's really hard because, uh, as, a, as you know, I'm the president of the Asian Firefighter Association and many of my members are AAPI and we have strong ties to the islands. Uh, some of our members, well, Kaya Nakua, he's not here, but he was 
born and raised in Lahaina. His grandparents and parents were from there. So it was very, you know, it, it is very personal for him. Uh, firefighter Dan Murphy, he worked in the Maui Fire Department for six years, so he has very strong ties to Maui. Right? He also was one of our liaison to the Maui Fire Department, which basically got us that foot in the door, especially when there was a fire on day five, and we responded. We had our gear. We weren't expecting to be firefighters, but when, when the call came, we just couldn't help ourselves. We, that is what we do. We just wanted to help. Moving forward, I'd like to, the board to know that we are planning a second mission already. Are we planning on hopefully the first or second week of October? We start our fundraising drive. We're trying to get as much money as possible so that when we do arrive in uh, Lahaina, Maui for our second trip that we are able to, you know, dole out more money to people in need. And with that, I'd like to thank you, the board, for uh, inviting us here today. Thank you, President Lee, and I also want to thank and acknowledge the president of the San Francisco Fire Commission since long before I was originally elected, Steve Nakajo, for your support and for joining today. Uh, with that, thank you one and all. Put Stan at the top, but then here's Paul's. Uh, but we'll never get this done now, so here, just grab that, grab that, turn around. <laughs> hey, CB2 is here. Oh, yeah, CB3 is here. Stan. I didn't see you guys. I can't see that far. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Mr. President. Madam Clerk, let's continue roll call for introductions, and right. at some point I would like to be re-referred. Okay. Thank you, Mr. President. Supervisor Safai for new business. Thank you, colleagues. Thank you, President Peskin, for honoring them. And let me start by saying I really appreciate the words that Supervisor Ronan had. One of the themes that I'm going to hit, some of the things I'm introducing today, and what I think I heard from her more than anything, is in these areas that have, we have tremendous crisis in the city right now, we need leadership. And we need leadership from the mayor. And a lot of the departments and a lot of the responses in the city are missing that leadership and that strong voice, whether it's UN Plaza, whether it's the overdose crisis and what, whether it's about what we're talking about today. Um, colleagues, I'm gonna, I have introduced and sent a letter of inquiry to uh, the mayor uh, in particular and her budget director about the response uh, for law enforcement on, on retail theft. And I'm not trying to trivialize it. I know there's been a lot of debate about it. I'm talking specifically about the incidents where there's been severe violence and there's been um, incidents where there's been extreme um, injury. Uh, so we're set, submitting that letter uh, today to the mayor, the district attorney, the police uh, chief, um, and her budget director. Um, many of you know over the last several years, um, I've repeatedly requested more resources be allocated to suppressing this. 
Um, it has not been taken seriously. And the growing issue of retail theft and escalating reports of brazen violence. Uh, we convened a working group very similar to what I heard Supervisor Ronan talking about, getting people together um, and inserting herself on an issue that's of super importance. Police chief, sheriff, district attorney, but also the NAACP and the United Food and Commercial Workers Union, uh, organized labor, community benefits districts and others because people saw this as something that was starting to tear our city apart and I believe that that's where we are today. Um, in a meeting earlier this year in our retail working group, the district attorney said she was gonna go in and ask for uh, an assistant district attorney assigned to these issues and particularly where there's issues of violence and there needs to be follow-up. Um, we heard during our budget process on June 16th that that request was denied by the mayor. That request was not funded. So the purpose of my letter today is to collect data from the SFPD, police chief and his team, district attorneys of office and the number of reported retail theft cases and those that particularly involve violence and threats of violence. In addition, I'm asking the mayor and her budget director to provide an explanation of why that position was denied. And I'm also urging the mayor to reconsider this position. As I've said, you know, people are dying in the city right now. And in the worst case, in these instances, uh, Supervisor Chan and I were out last week in the Richmond. Um, it might seem trivial, but someone was trying to take a couple cans of beer, a person tried to stop them, and they lost their life. And that's the worst case. But that's years of building where people believe that it's okay to walk out of stores without paying for items and there's no guidance or leadership on this issue. So I'm asking for the mayor's direct response on this and why that position wasn't funded. Uh, secondarily, uh, folks, um, I'm introducing um, a legislation request, a drafting request to our city attorney uh, with regard to uh, special use districts in our downtown as it relates to what we're calling Student Village SUD. Uh, the city attorney uh, will work with them to create and encourage. This SUD will be to encourage universities and colleges to come together and create a downtown campuses and, air and hubs of learning. Uh, the legislation modeled after UC Law's uh, student village concept, which is going to break ground soon, uh, but essentially uh, that, that, that houses students from multiple universities and colleges together to create a campus feel in an urban environment. And it's, designed based on the city of Boston's approach to mixing colleges and universities and businesses and retail and entertainment and other uses. Students not only like to study, they like to live and thrive, they like to go spend money, um, and they also are supporting our businesses and creating a more vibrant downtown. All world-class cities around the world, whether it's London, Boston, Chicago, New York, and other parts of Europe, have universities located in their downtown. And it's also another way to ensure that we're not just solely reliant on one sector of the economy, that we're able to <coughs> diversify our economy. Um, I look forward to allow, you know, allowing more university and colleges to contribute to the revitalization of the downtown and south of market area. Um, and it would allow for a change of use and adaptive reuse on existing buildings as well as uh, facilitate 
the creation of these campus villages, whether it, whether it be office buildings, tourist hotels, um, for student housing, research centers, or educational spaces. I want to thank those who participate in discussions with our office already, and the University of Pacific, the University of San Francisco, San Francisco State, uh, University of uh, UCSF, uh, San Francisco College of Law, um, and others and other stakeholders that have given great ideas. Secondarily, we're gonna be looking at the concept as part of this SUD to look at either a city-owned property or uh, one that might be donated to the city to create an RFP process to invite universities to come in and be part of that process to revitalize the downtown in one location. This was a model that was utilized uh, in Phoenix and other parts of the country to attract universities into the downtown. And it's a way, again, to, to jumpstart the economy and the reimagining re of the downtown. I, I look forward to working with President Peskin on this, as well as uh, Supervisor Dorsey, whose the majority of this space is located in their, in their district. Ma'am, feel, feel free to go outside to clear your chest and then return when you're, when you're clear. Lastly, colleagues, I look, I look, I look forward. I look forward to recognizing. Ma'am, don't interrupt. You'll have your chance to talk. Ma'am, public comment is coming up. You're Ma'am. Ma'am. Ma'am, there's a time for public comment, but this is not that time. La lastly, colleagues, um, putting forward a resolution recognizing September as Childhood Cancer Awareness Month. Um, the American Cancer Fund for Ch Children and Kids Cancer Connection report cancer is the leading cause of death and, uh, by disease among children between the age of infancy and, and age 15. Uh, sadly, one in five of our nation's children lose their battle with cancer and many infants, children, and teens will suffer long-term effects of comprehensive treatment, including secondary cancers. I want to thank Mr. Stephen Firestein and Dr. Amy Firestein with the Kids Cancer Connection, Inc. for reaching out to us and their incredible volunteerism on behalf of families and children impacted by pediatric cancer. I also want to appreciate the Geneva Excelsior Lions Club and District 11 for making this year's request for a proclamation. Lastly, I want to thank my colleagues, Supervisor Walton, uh, Stephanie Mandelman, and Guardio Ronan and Preston for their early co-sponsorship. Uh, raising awareness about children's cancer is critically important to the impact of children and families. And with that, colleagues, the rest I submit. Thank you, Supervisor Safai. Supervisor Stephanie. 
Thank you, Madam Clerk. I do want to acknowledge Supervisor Rona's comments around um, the fentanyl crisis that is affecting our city. Um, I admire the passion in terms of wanting to save people's lives. I know that is coming such from an incredible place and um, knowing um, many addicts and including my brother, um, we have to do everything we can to save um, people from overdose. And for me, knowing the, the continuum beyond that, which is so important, is people who are fortunate enough to, in one way or another, either admit they don't want to use the drug anymore or have, if it's forced, but whatever happens in terms of someone coming to a point where they have to detox from a drug, we have to be there for them as well. And, you know, then, again, this is um, something that I've personally gone through with watching my mom, who was a nurse and was a psychiatric nurse, um, helping my brother detox from heroin, I don't know how many years ago, but after how many um, rehabs, uh, knowing how hard it is, knowing what a human body goes through when they're detoxing from a horrible drug like heroin, also methamphetamine and alcohol is the worst. It's the absolute worst drug to, to detox from and results in death many times when not done appropriately. And we need those services. And, and one of the things um, that's also happening as this idea of wellness centers is playing out is... Um, for me, a look at our detox centers and what we have and the services we have, and I'm worried about them. And I said this before I, our, our last break, um, I mean, before we went on break, our last meeting, in terms of what I've been hearing out in the street, in terms of services not being provided or people being turned away. And I mentioned that in roll call and did a letter of inquiry to the Department of Public Health, which I have not heard back from. And so for me, Looking at the contract that we have um, with HealthRight 360 in terms of what they have agreed to perform when it comes to detox services and what we went through with Baker Places and PRC is asking the controller to take a look at that contract and to understand whether or not they have what's in place to provide the services we're asking them to provide because they are critical as well. It's all critical. It's all necessary. And my worry comes down to the fact that when we initiate a contract for services over a 10-year contract, $360 million over this 10 years, or $36.7 million a year to provide these critical services, that we're actually providing them. And like I said before, with the letter of um, inquiry I did, laid out examples as to what I've heard and to why I think those services aren't being provided in a way that we've asked them to be provided. And then on, on August 31st, when I learned that HealthRight 360 actually had to shut down entirely for a COVID outbreak, made me concerned about whether or not they have backup or whether or not they are able to provide, again, the services that I know to be so critical to this problem, our fentanyl crisis. Like I said, it starts from keep, keeping people alive if they're about ready to overdose, but also being able to put them in a place where they can recover and where they can start to detox from a drug because you're not going to be able to keep people alive forever in their disease. It's a disease that kills, especially fentanyl. It is a dangerous drug, and it's getting more dangerous by the day. And we have to make sure that we have exits from that, or eventually the drug will kill them. 
So what I really want the controller's office to do is to look at this contract with Health Right 360 and intervene early. And this is not to cast aspersions on anyone, but I am truly concerned that we are paying for a service that they're not able to provide. And again, we know there's a shortage in healthcare workers. We know that there are reasons why they might not be able to, but I want to catch it early because these are services I care so deeply about. I've seen these services, you know, I've seen them work for others, and I know they are the start to get people on a better path. And I want to make sure that the contract we've entered into with HealthRight 360, which is actually a contract they had to take over from Baker Places, um, they had to, because they weren't able to perform the service. I am asking the controller today to perform an audit immediately of HealthRight 360 and this detox center to make sure that we have everything in place and to catch anything early so we can continue um, to provide uh, the withdrawal management that um, is so desperately needed in this city. And the rest I submit. Thank you. Thank you, Supervisor Stephanie. Supervisor Walton. Submit. Submit. Thank you. Supervisor Chan. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Um, colleagues, I uh, want to first thank uh, Board President Peskin for um, honoring our Asian firefighters today and that through their testimony that, um, again, firsthand testimony that we learned about the Maui fire and how devastating that it is. Um, so with that, uh, today I'm introducing a package of legislation that aim to improve fire safety and disaster preparedness in San Francisco. We can learn much from the devastating fire disaster in Maui and the failure of preparation and emergency warning systems. The West Side, including the Richmond District, is particularly vulnerable to natural disasters like tsunamis. And we must do better to ensure we're prepared and can uh, adequately respond uh, I have already um, and requested the city attorney, and so I um, just wanted to share with you that uh, about our request uh, to draft a set of ordinances that will first amend the San Francisco Fire Code to improve the inspection process for sprinkler systems, um, and it's really specifically for the five-year inspection by requiring a permit. Uh, process. Um, and uh, we are also um, amending the code to strengthen fire safety uh, and to um, by requiring that uh, part, additional training and license uh, for these uh, inspection for the sprinkler system. And then we also are mandating sprinkler system in the new development of accessory dwelling units last but not least, but to also require a minimum of five feet of fire safety access from public way to the divided lot. Um, these changes will improve fire safety and make sure our city and buildings are more resilient in the face of our next disaster. We know uh, it is not a question uh, of if, but when. Um, and I'm also introducing a letter of inquiry to the Department of Emergency Management to demand a detailed plan, including a timeline for the immediate restoration of the San Francisco Emergency Siren System. Uh, we want to know the, not just the upgrades plan, but also the emergency evacuation plan, not just for the west side, but citywide. The emergency sirens were taken offline in 2019 for a security upgrade with a planned restoration of 2021. 
So when I first took office, I asked about the restoration process, uh, upgrading process of the sirens. But again, four years later, we're still waiting for that answer. So I really hope that uh, with now, with um, Mayor having her experience in Maui, uh, with President Peskin's uh, urging that now we finally have the funding for it. So I look forward to actually seeing it done. And with that, uh, I also already before recess have submitted a request uh, to understand the emergency firefighting, firefighting water system upgrade on the west side. Um, it is just in the recent uh, government audit oversight committee that I learned that the bond that the voters have voted to support in 2021 no longer included the west side uh, for the Richmond to actually have the system to be implemented uh, and because it's now saying it's no longer funded. Um, and so that is a huge concern of mine. Uh, I demand answers to those questions and I will be uh, having that public hearing this fall uh, to get the bottom of this. And rest, I will submit. Thank you. Thank you, Supervisor Chan. And President Peskin asked to be re-referred. Re Thank you, Madam Clerk, colleagues. <coughs> um, a few uh, relatively related things. Uh, first of all, as we are all aware, and we talked about during our special order commendation, uh, on August 8th was the uh, massive fire with a huge amount of death in Lahaina. And as Supervisor Chan said, uh, the city uh, has the need to invest in capital infrastructure, particularly on the west side. Uh, we have a rich history uh, dating back to the 1906 earthquake and the years that ensued where the city of San Francisco committed itself to a redundant uh, firefighting system known as the auxiliary water supply system, which is on large swaths of the east side uh, around to the Bayview, but is largely missing on the west side. Uh, in the days that ensued thereafter, uh, there was a lot of discussion about what had become of the city's outdoor public warning system, which I always knew it was time to go to the board meeting because two hours after you heard that on a Tuesday, you had to report for duty in these chambers. Uh, and that stopped in December of 2019 uh, and for the next number of years did not make it to the top of the capital uh, planning list. And I understood that. We were in the midst of COVID. It was a crisis. We were... Uh, all hands on deck relative to that. Uh, but this year, as a member of the Capital Planning Committee, I dissented on a 10 to 1 vote uh, and voted against the Capital Plan, not because the things in it were not worthy, uh, but because this government and our chief executive officer uh, made a decision to cut our capital investment uh, in half to $59 million a year. And so my, my vote was a protest vote that we were not investing enough in capital with an acknowledgement that every year's delay has an exponential price increase in the out years. And so a dollar spent today saves multiple dollars in the out years. Um, even though it's an easy thing to cut when you have mouths to feed and you don't want to uh, make tougher decisions. Um, and so the outdoor public warning system uh, fell victim to that, but I felt in the days uh, after the Lahaina quake that there was a teachable moment and that we could fund it and threatened uh, to do a supplemental appropriation, but was delighted when the mayor chose to convene the Disaster Council, uh, which had not been convened in many years, 
uh, and I want to thank Supervisors Chan and Stephanie, who are members of the Disaster Council, for attending, wherein it was announced that funding had been found, um, and so no supplemental appropriation was needed. Uh, although, as Supervisor Chan pointed out, the source of those funds uh, have not been publicly, or for that matter, privately disclosed to this president of the board or to the public or to members of this board of supervisors. So today, I am asking uh, Mr. Polino to know where those funds are coming from, and if there is no plan, then I intend to move forward with a supplemental appropriation from the general fund reserves to fund that item in the amount of approximately $5 million, as discussed at the August 24th Disaster Council. I say this because when you go to all these capital planning committee meetings, each and every department comes forward with their capital plans, and they show slides, and they show how much is being funded and what's not being funded, and we see pretty pictures of the parks that are going to be refurbished and the fire facilities that are going to be enhanced. And I sat through Reckon Park's presentation, uh, and there was no discussion of putting almost $2 million into a skate park at United Nations Plaza, which, by the way, is not a recreation park's property. So I have no idea what isn't being funded in Reckon Park's budget, but this is all fuzzy money, and we go through this process where I spend my time, and the head of the airport spends his time, and you know, the head of uh, public work spends her time, and none of these things are discussed when it turns out that dating back to January, there was a quiet hush-hush deal to spend $1.8 million on a skate park. So I'm not even talking about what is truly breathtaking for a city that talks volumes about equity, volumes about low-income communities. I mean, but what has been visited upon the Tenderloin would never happen in my district. It would never happen in Supervisor Stephanie's district. Uh, and the lack of respect is breathtaking and outrageous. And I want to know what didn't get funded with this $1.8 million. Uh, finally, colleagues, I am submitting a hearing request on the um, unfortunate, tragic revelations uh, about city corruption uh, and look forward to not pointing fingers, but figuring out uh, what steps this government can take to do everything in our power to prevent things like this from happening yet again in the future. And I believe in this instance, the notion of the umbrella uh, fiduciary, which was the problem in the Parks Alliance case and is now the problem in this case, needs further examination. I've started those conversations with the controller. I'm sure we will see another public integrity report, but I am asking for a hearing on that. And the rest, Madam Clerk, I will submit. Thank you, Mr. President. Seeing no other names on the roster, that concludes the introduction of new business. Let's go to public comment. All right, the public, please come to the podium. If you are in the chamber and you'd like to provide public comment, you may speak to the minutes as presented. Uh, items 14 through 17, are the items under the adoption without committee reference calendar and other general matters not on today's agenda, but must be within the board's subject matter jurisdiction. All other agenda content will have been reported out to the board by an appropriate committee where the public comment requirement occurred. Uh, we do have interpreters who are standing by. 
uh, to assist speakers with their comment. Um, we thank the interpreters. We appreciate your service to the community. Um, after those who are here in the chamber, we will then go to the remote uh, comment speaker line. All right, let's hear from our first speaker, please. So, Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? And then he prayed, and the fire came down, and he ran away to Mount Sinai. Forty days later, he heard in his ears that he was to anoint three people. Now, there's a certain parallel, parallelism between the exact day God told Elijah this and the sounding of the sixth trumpet. In the book of Revelation, there's seven trumpets. There's not eight. When the seventh finishes sounding, uh, that's judgment day. and You go to hell or heaven depending on whether you're saved or not. But the sixth is actually dated to the day. And uh, I tried to buy my call to KSFO and KFAX. People don't believe me, but I would swear in a Bible I'm telling you the truth. Just because it takes an hour to explain, it doesn't mean it's not true. But uh, it was a sad, uh, sad uh, thing when he anointed Hazael, the king of Syria, and he started crying and weeping. And Hazael, you know, said, why are you crying? And he says, because I know the evil you're going to do to my people. You're going to burn the cities with fire. You're going to uh, kill the young men with the sword. You're going to dash the little ones against the stones. And you're going to rip up the women with children. Now, there was no anointing with oil on that, just the word spoken, and it happened. And he, he did anoint Elijah and, and Jehu. Jehu was a blessing for the most part to Israel, and so was Elisha. But, ladies and gentlemen, in one week from now, we're going to remember what happened a few years ago at the Trade Center. And I'm telling you, if you're smart enough to count to seven and get 28, you're smart enough to understand what I. I'm teaching. Thank you for your comments. Let's hear from our next speaker, please. I'd like to give each and one of you this small, unfortunate letter, but it's just... The clerk is coming to pick that up from you, and please speak into the microphone. We, that way those on Channel 26 can hear you, and I'll start your timer when you begin to speak. Please proceed. My letter says, honor the founders, honor working people, honor farmers. This is a farmer's perspective. My name is Grace Rasmussen Aoyama Teresi. And in the photograph, you'll see Diane Feinstein, Bernie Averbush, and my late husband, Don Aoyama. In the early 80s, during a major recession, the heart of the city farmer's market was conceived by a political will of Diane Feinstein, the support of Market Street Development Association, Bernie Averbush, nonprofits such as the American Friendship Committee, and farmers represented by Don Aoyama. Now, we're kicked to the curb after surviving the pandemic. Have you considered how much it will cost to remove all the bricks and where are you going to store them? Are you going to remove the columns when each country signed the UN treaty? 
Concreted asphalt is at least $5 million. And it's not good for the environment. At the surface, it's hot. Did the Board of Supervisors actually ask the constituents for the funds? Why did the Park and Rec Department want to ramrod the deal without any consideration of the farmers? Wouldn't it be cheaper to have other venues on the day the market is not recycling, like such a recycling demonstration, maker craft fairs, music events? It's very evident that not much consideration was given. On Wednesday, after the market was closed, removal of the bricks ensued. The deal was done. Farmers are environmentally conscious, and we aim to please our customers. We harvest the crops that capture the sun and give you energy, and roots mine the minerals. I Thank you for your comments. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Thank, Let's go to our thank, next speaker. Thank you. Next speaker, please. We, we are reading all, everything we're getting. Yeah. And I heard you at the farmers, at the, yeah. Appreciate you. Go ahead. Next speaker, please. Yeah, you can. Just start speaking and we'll come get it. Go ahead. Okay, my name is Leah McGeever. I live in D6. This month, there will be a um, transphobic conference called Women's De Declaration International Conference at the Hilton Financial District um, from September 17th through 15th. The event organizers oppose gender-affirming care and drag shows, both of which this board has previously affirmed. Will you, as a board, condemn this conference? Is that too big of an ask from us transgender people while trans lives, our very existence, are under attack in this country? While other trans and queer people are fleeing various parts of this country to what they hope is a safe haven, there should be no place for this hate-mongering conference here in San Francisco. I exist, my wife exists, my friends exist. The end. There is no further valid debate or ideology about it. As a result of this transphobic conference, I will be escorting my wife to and from work during that week for her protection, because it goes to that area. She goes to that area. While turfs and other fascists, where there are turfs, other fascists and neo-Nazis often follow. They came here during the Right to Life anti-abortion march. Myself and others fought them off on the library steps over there as police watched. Please don't invite them back with your silence. I have also learned how defensive cis people can be um, when they, <laughs> who call themselves allies, and, um, and then when I point out certain transphobic things about their words or actions. You can only imagine how disheartening that is when, when I want to believe in the goodness of people so much. You need to pair your words with actions to let people know where San Francisco stands, where you, our elected officials, stand. Silence is insidious when growing calls and acts of genocide against trans and queer people sweep the country. We still have time to be on the offense here, and the best defense is a good offense, right? Please protect trans kids so they can grow up to be adults. Thank you for your comments. You want it? <laughs> uh, good afternoon, motherfuckers. My name is Jordan. My pronouns are she, her, or they, them. 
I support the overdose awareness day resolution brought forth by Supervisor Ronan. I am a cocaine user myself, and it is important to treat drug use as a public health issue and not a criminal punishment issue. And if you don't like the fact that sometimes a friend of mine provides a line, you can go fuck yourselves. And if you walked a while in my shoes, you'd understand why I indulge. Also, yes, we should fill PSH vacancies. But some of these units are shithole SRO rooms, which aren't fit for long-term residents by neuroatypical people. And we need scattered site supportive housing instead. Also, the displacement of farmers market where I go for fruits and vegetables goes to a lot of issues around the strong mayor system and how the mayor can act like she's fucking got or something. Also, the fact that some members of this board joined a protest tinged with racist signs against an Asian-American female, federal female judge who blocked the city from sweeping its homeless is gross enough, but I was at the counter-protest, and I feared the homeless hanging shitheads led by the mayor, Mandelman, and Guardian Dorsey were going to start another January 6th insurrection at the courthouse. Also, as Leah said, an tra anti-trans hate group has booked a Hilton at 750 Kearney in President Peskin's district for the weekend of this 15th through 17th for conference. And they will be having an anti-trans protest in front of City Hall on the 18th. I'm urging that the Board of Supervisors condemn this bullshit, especially the female supervisors, because these specific transphobes dress up their transphobia in women's rights and claim that if trans feminine people like me are in women's spaces, then we will rape women, which is defamatory. I know that three of the women on this board, Ronan Chan and Melger, believe trans women are women. But Catherine Stephanie should become a turf if it's convenient. I yield my time. Fuck you. Let's hear Next from our. Speaker. Yeah. Next speaker, please. John Anderson, uh, speaking for 350 San Francisco. I'm speaking to agenda item 14. Uh, on the Municipal Finance Corporation report. I hope the uh, board will accept the report and act very quickly to implement it. We're in very interesting times. We know we're facing uh, climate catastrophes. We see them starting. The city has declared an emergency. It's been declared all over the world and yet in both the city and the world, uh, the resources dedicated have been hilariously out of proportion to what's needed to save lives. And clearly the uh, systems of taxes, bonds, and private ownership of banks is not working. And the Municipal Finance Corporation offers a way around it. It is not going to get easier to implement as we go forward. We will face increasing academics, uh, loss of food loss, loss of food production, and we'll find out what else. Um, so I hope the board will implement it quickly, and it's very important that it be done in a way that's transparent and accountable. We have to get this right the first time because we will not get a chance to do it again. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Hello, my name is Susan Fong Wong. I live in District 2. Uh, my three children attended and graduated from the San Francisco Public Schools. Um, I'm here to ask you to help us to vote for, vote for an eighth grade algebra ballot issue for March of 2024 election. And I know that the city doesn't have any control over the district, at least not directly. And um, 
but the city does give the school district about $100 million of money every year under proposition, I forget the name of the proposition, but anyway, you do give that amount of money. Uh, so, and you've probably also heard that there is a budget crisis. In fact, the state might take over the school district. Uh, the superintendent last week uh, uh, unveiled uh, what he hopes to be a discussion about how to address the budget crisis so that the state won't come in to take over the school district. Anyway, I, I'm here to ask you to vote in uh, a ballot measure for eighth grade algebra because the school district discontinued uh, offering eighth grade algebra in 2014. I've been fighting for the last nine years to restore uh, eighth grade algebra. And all the things that we said in 2014 has come to pass. It didn't make any difference uh, to bring up the marginalized uh, performers uh, of, of math. So if the district would, and also if eighth grade algebra is offered, then it might also alleviate the acute teacher shortage. Right now, classrooms are being taught by substitutes. Many of these substitutes have no teaching credentials or experience. I get this from my parent friends. They tell me what's going on. So please seriously consider voting for an eighth grade algebra ballot for the uh, March 24 uh, election. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Hello, everyone. My name is Rex Ridgeway, and I'm here to ask that the Board of Supervisors consider putting eighth grade algebra as a ballot measure for March 2024. A decade of damage has happened for the last 10 years by them moving eighth grade uh, algebra one out of the eighth grade. Now kids have to double up in order to reach calculus. In this city, which is the hub of AI, you can't get to calculus by being a, a, a school citizen, a citizen here in the district. Cupertino, Dublin, Irvine, and I can go on and on. All their district, district kids can take algebra in the seventh and eighth grade. Our kids cannot. My granddaughter had to double up in the ninth grade so she, could so she can take out calculus in high school. The problem is now they have a compression course. A little bit algebra one, two, and, and pre-calculus together, they call it a compression course. A teacher, I won't name the high school, told his class that this, out, this compression course should be banded. The, the heads of Harvard, Stanford, UCLA, and uh, UC Berkeley jointly signed a letter back in June 2022, sent it to the district that said, this compression course does not prepare our kids for STEM. The district has been sued. March 20th, the first uh, opening arguments was last Thursday. It's amazing to me that the district will fight something that has proven not to work. Human beings can do five things. Speak, laugh, sleep on their backs, blush and dream. Oh, and they can lie. We have quit drinking the Kool-Aid. The, the families of San Francisco Unified and those who have taken their kids to private school have quit drinking the Kool-Aid of the math department over at 555 Franklin. Help us put Algebra 1 back in the eighth grade. Thank you. Next speaker. Hi there. My name is Sarah Benton. I'm homeless. I've been homeless on purpose. I can't get on the internet. 
I can't get on Zoom, and this phone is actually no good. Okay, so I have everything that's wrong with me. I'm asking for someone that can help me get off the street and get some type of housing. I'm paying $400 every three weeks, $400 at the Western, Western Hotel for one week um, with other people running in and out all night. That's on dope. I'm not on drugs. I've never been on, I've never had a positive drug test in the last 23 years, okay? I want to know where my daughter is located. Her name is Ashante Sarah Lanham, and the feds have kept her away from me for 23 years because it's a, a related. I bought a home next door to a double murderer by the name of Calvin Williams uh, that I, it caused me to have a DUI driving a muni bus. This information this same murderer that had me arrested wasn't told that he had, he had murdered someone at the same time he had, those, had me arrested. I'm blackballed from every, everything and everybody. I'm being cyanide poisoned every day. On my driver's license, it says I'm 5'11". I'm 5'5", from being cyanide poisoned. I need some help from, I don't know what, I don't care what I look like, I want to get some help, somebody. I'm begging you, can you help me? Please, I'm tired of walking in the middle of the street because of false information put on people's phones saying, oh, I'm bisexual, I like pretty women, okay? How could I be homophobic? I'm tired of being abused. I'm a human being, please, can somebody help me, please? Now, I've been to almost everybody's office up in this building. Can somebody please get in contact with my daughter? Tell me Thank I can't take Thank you for your comments today. Please. Shanti, I love you. I want to talk to my daughter. I want to have Thank you, ma'am. We're, we're now going to go. Are there any other members of the public in these chambers? Go ahead, sir. Hi. Hi, guys. Uh, I hope you had a nice recess, personally. For me, there is no intermission. No intermission. So, the accident is unavoidable because of the high-speed pressure we are all victim of. So we are in danger. Okay, so I'm here to limit the damage. It's not, I don't choose. The skies ordered me to do that. Um, because there is a danger, remember, it's women and children first. That's gonna be it. It's an old adage, right? Uh, the thing is that, okay, let me speak there. Uh, you are on board, right? Otherwise you wouldn't be here. You can't, the reason why you can't control the world is because if you want to control the world, you have to work against the eternal rules of existence, which means that you can't be happy then, because the eternal rules of existence for you and everybody, the existence itself is to be happy using the eternal emotional energy, aspiration towards beauty. So when you want to control the world, you have to lie, to create damages, to kill, right? basically to create ugliness. So you die unhappy, ugly. That's the reason why the eternal rules of existence don't want you back. You can say, fine, I don't care. The problem is that your children pay for you. And their children, if they refuse to pay, until it's set. Are we clear? So that's tough, that's the way it is. Now, AI, you don't need the A, you just need I, intelligence, okay, from the skies. Because if you are intelligent enough, you know you don't need the artificial part. 
but you have to work. It's like if you wear a mask, you know you can't use critical thinking. It doesn't work. It's the same process. So basically, AI is for idiots. End of the story. <laughs> so you don't control the world with AI because it means you are an idiot, which makes AI even more dangerous, right? Because it led, it's led by idiots or unintelligent person is the most correct term. Now, get your hands on it. I'm with you. Bye. Are there any remote members of the public for public comment? Let's welcome our first caller. Hello, caller. Are you with us? Yes. Great. Okay. Thank you. Uh, my name is Donisha Carlos. I am a District 5 uh, resident. And I hope that this is the forum. If not, please let me know. Um, I have had several uh, negative encounters with city offices in the city and county of San Francisco. Negative both being no one is available to answer the phone, or if someone is available, the level of professionalism is below zero. I don't know um, what departments I need to be talking to or who heads um, HR with regard to the training, with, reg with regard to the professionalism in uh, the city and county of San Francisco. Um, this has happened both with or several offices, housing, the mayor's office, and uh, the Human Rights Commission. I um, am really troubled that there are people who are on payroll making substantial income by working in the city and county of San Francisco. They were not uh, sought out to take these jobs, yet they continue to receive benefits, health care, uh, salary, 401k, et cetera, uh, with the way that the city is running, with the number of homeless or unhoused, with people who are looking for jobs, to have people in place who thumb their nose at employment is uh, both disrespectful and um, despicable. And so I am looking for someone to connect with that can provide feedback to the heads of the departments to provide whatever training is necessary to understand that when you take a job in a human-facing uh, position, that it's just that. You don't get to choose who shows up to your face, but you do have the responsibility to be humane, to act as yes. That concludes your time, but before you go, I just want to give you the clerk's office telephone number. That number is, if you're ready, 415-554-5184. Uh, staff there will take your message, and we will forward it to the office you're trying to reach. Okay. Okay. Thank All right. you. All right. Thank you kindly. All right, Mr. Lamb, let's hear from our next caller, please. Welcome, caller. Good afternoon. My name is Kimberly Johnson, and this is regarding a concern in District 5 that is not on the current agenda. Dear Supervisor President, dear members of the Board of Supervisors, can you take a look at this? I urge the Board of Supervisors to place the Navy site station in the capital budget so that it may receive long overdue funding for the retrofit of this historic structure known as San Francisco Landmark Number 105. 
The Board of Supervisors has urged to add this structure located at 1150 Fillmore Street to the capital budget so that this structure may be used for the benefit of the community via adoptive reuse. The building is preservable but deteriorating. This was set aside in 
siren systems and other communication systems. Um, I joined the Neighborhood Emergency Response Team after the Loma Prieta earthquake. I then became a ham radio operator and joined the Auxiliary Communication Service, which serves the city as a volunteer ham, served the city during disasters, and, sta and staffed the ham shack down at the emergency services office. We, on Tuesdays, used to monitor those sirens and report the ones that were not performing or were not heard. So these sirens are really necessary as part of the public safety for people during disasters, and we need funding for them now. I encourage you to put in the supplemental request. I have no faith that money has been found to fix these. That was always the excuse in the past, and it never seemed to work. So go ahead and put in a supplemental appropriations for it now. If it's not needed and the funding is actually there, that's fine. I'll make two other comments. Uh, being a retired from the Civil Rights Office of U.S. Department of Education, I strongly support eighth grade or seventh and eighth grade algebra. Um, it, it's an equity issue. Um, and we need people with the appropriate training. We, we do not have enough young people going into the fields with strong math and science backgrounds. Um, and I also wonder why the skating board park in the Civic Center is not part of the Civic Center plan, which I looked up, and it, during COVID, it just uh, stopped. The planning or implementation of that plan stopped. It needs to, the process of deciding whether there's a skate park in the Civic Center needs to go back through appropriate planning uh, process, in my opinion. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Regina Sneed. Okay, Mr. Lamb, let's hear from our next caller, please. Hello, this is Michael Petrellis calling, and I would like to observe a few moments of silence because of the death of the Castro Theater. Let us be silent for a few moments and remember what was the beautiful movie palace of the Castro Theater. The silence that was just, um, uh, you'll pardon the expression, the silence that was just heard represents the many dark nights at the Castro Theater since another planet took over this movie palace. There have been at least 250 dark nights since January of 2022 when another planet was given control of the theater by the Nasser family. And we are looking at at least 160 dark nights between now and the end of between now and the end of January 2024. This information comes from the um, website of all events at the Castro Theater for the past 18 months. It is really a shame that we have lost the Castro Theater as both a movie palace and a entertainment center where there is nothing happening. In the month of August, there were only two events at the Castro Theater. The lack of music events, movie events at the Castro Theater is harming the Castro neighborhood and the small business owners. There is reduced foot traffic. Indeed, there's minimal foot traffic on the weekends when there should be matinee shows of Barbie. 
it is really time to mourn the loss of the Castro Theater. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your comments. All right, let's hear from our next caller, please. Hello, hello, hello. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, commendation to be called out. This is San Francisco here. Commendation to all the veterans. Mr. DeCosta, Ms. Gloria Berry, thank you so much, so much for your service. Every day is Veterans Day. Now to business. I think we made it pretty clear that we need to make changes in the city. I think we made it very, very clear that uh, some people need to leave immediately. Uh, been over 3,100 deaths now. It seems to be a priority to address the medical health crisis on our streets, and that being the fentanyl crisis. So we should have done this five years ago. We should have called doctors and clinicians and wellness centers and all those. And now we're grandstanding on the 3,100 that are dead. And keep in mind, 9-11's coming up. 9-11, we're 2,977 lives were lost. So we've, uh, well, the, the board and the mayor have eclipsed that record, that uh, grim record. Speaking of grim records, to date, 38 homicides, 149 rapes, over 1,600 robberies, I believe 1,800 burglaries, and just, you know, again, nonsense, chaos. Every citizen, every law-abiding citizen needs to apply for a CCW. There should be no hesitation with this. The Supreme Court has ruled we need to get people protected, especially women. And with regards to grandstanding on people and grandstanding for public uh, uh uh, needs, we cannot do that anymore. We just cannot have this big 2024 election coming up. We need to address the community. If you can't address them, just leave. We've sent out invitations. We challenge you to meet us. When can we meet you? We'll do the live streaming. We'll make it live with Breed and, and the Jenkins and Peskin and uh, Camillo's squatting there like a squatter that she is, laying an egg. Again, get the fuck out of our city. Give the keys to Terry. Oh, and with regards to AI, AI Thank is you artificial for your intelligence. Also- All right, let's hear from our next caller, please. Madam Clerk, that was the last caller in the queue. Okay, thank you for thank you for your service, Mr. Lamb, Mr. President. Public comment is closed. Madam Clerk, could you please read the adoption without committee reference calendar? Yes, items 14 through 17 were introduced for adoption without reference to committee. A unanimous vote is required for resolutions on first reading today. Alternately, a member may require a resolution on first reading to go to committee. Would any member like an item or item severed? Supervisor Dorsey? I'd like to um, sever item 15. 15, Supervisor Stephanie? 17, please. On the balance of the calendar, oh, Madam Clerk, items one, 14 and 16. Oh, I'm sorry, more. Supervisor Preston. Item uh, 14, please. Supervisor Chan. All right. So on item 16, our last item was unanimous, and everybody is in the House. So same House, same call. That resolution is adopted. Madam Clerk, would you please read item 14? Item 14, this is a resolution to accept receipt of the San Francisco Reinvestment Working Group's final governance plan, business plan, and viability study for a San Francisco Municipal Financial Corporation and final governance plan, business plan, and viability study for a San Francisco public bank. Supervisor Preston. 
Thank you, President Peskin. And we talked about the substances report uh, at length in committee, so I will not do that uh, again here today. But I, I did want to um, thank some folks who have been uh, just done a tremendous amount of work um, to bring before us um, this uh, reinvestment working group uh, governance plan uh, and business plan for um, a public bank in San Francisco. So uh, I want to thank uh, reinvestment working group members, all of them, uh, and uh, in particular thank uh, Chair Kristen Evans and Vice Chair Fernando Marti um, and, and the all the members of this uh, incredible body who, who met consistently for the last 18 months uh, to create uh, these plans uh, that are before us. I also want to uh, recognize and thank um, some other folks who who were really key to moving this uh, uh, forward, and that is uh, Jeremy Pollock, the executive officer of LAFCO, uh, uh, Khalid Samurai, the policy analyst uh, to the reinvestment working group. Um, the San Francisco Public Bank Coalition for their ongoing support and advocacy uh, and really all the advocates who continue to push on this long-term project, but uh, we, are, we are nearing making it a reality uh, for a public bank in San Francisco. Um, also want to acknowledge the, the exemplary work of HRNA ad advisors, uh, the consultants who have been working with uh, the Reinvestment Working Group to develop this uh, draft plan, and Gary Finley of the Finley Group and uh, Susanna uh, Razzo of Contigo Communications. Um, the clerk's office, particularly our clerk, uh, Angela Calvillo, uh, Elisa Samara, uh, and Stephanie Cabrera. Um, former supervisors uh, who played a role starting with Supervisor Avalos, uh, handed off uh, later to Supervisor Fewer, um, who passed that baton on to me, uh, and also our city attorney and former Supervisor David Chu uh, for all their work along the way um, on public banking. Uh, our controller, Ben Rosenfield, uh, treasurer, Jose Cisneros, Cisneros um, and also to uh, a number of you colleagues, thank you for your interest in public banking and for the various conversations along the way. And uh, special thanks to um, Supervisor Walton and Supervisor Chan for uh, their ongoing strong support. Um, City Attorney's Office, particularly Mo Jamil, uh, Victoria Wong, and Aaron and Pearson uh, for working with us on what's the ongoing work of putting this into an ordinance that will eventually come before us. That's not what's before us today. Um, and then last but definitely not least, my legislative aide, Preston Kilgore, who's become a, one of the leading experts, not just in this town, but anywhere uh, on public banking. So uh, we remain committed to working with advocates and experts and all city leaders to create the first municipal bank in the nation. And yes, there is a little bit of a competition with some other uh, cities becoming interested in this, but we are further along. We are going to be the first. Uh, and these plans before us offer really a game-changing tool um, as the city navigates ongoing concerns uh, with post-pandemic economic recovery. Um, and I just want to say I'm encouraged. I, there are many, many things that uh, divide us at a policy level. I have been really encouraged to see our efforts to create a a public bank have been met with uh, what can only be characterized as a growing consensus among city leaders and experts uh, and support from the public. Um, so we will create and need to create a public bank 
in San Francisco, first through a municipal finance corporation, later through a full public bank. This will be a powerful tool to regenerate our local economy based on shared values, investing in the key areas that have been identified in these plans, and that is deeply affordable housing, uh, uh, small businesses, uh, underserved communities, um, and, uh, and, and green infrastructure. And so housing, business, and green infrastructure are really the three subject matter uh, uh, areas that we expect the public bank to make a huge difference in. So I think this is a really essential step toward a more just and sustainable economy. Uh, and I just wanna highlight that I really look forward to, to working with all of you uh, or inviting all of you to the various hearings that will happen uh, to, to sit in as we move forward. Uh, we're already engaged with the treasurer, city attorney, and others to take this plan and move it into an ordinance, and, and then obviously uh, the, there will be uh, policy decisions along the way on how to do this consistent with San Francisco's charter. But I'm, I'm excited this is before us, and just uh, thank you for your indulgence with the long list of thank yous, but this truly has been a it-takes-a-village kind of project, and really appreciate uh, everyone's hard work on this. Thank you. Seeing no other names on the roster, we will take this same house, same call. The resolution is adopted. Madam Clerk, could you please read item 15? Item 15 is a resolution that recognizes August 31st, 2023 as the International Overdose Awareness Day in the city and county of San Francisco. Supervisor Dorsey. Thank you, President Peskin. <clears throat> Colleagues, on item number 15, I want to express my gratitude to Supervisor Ronan and her co-sponsors for bringing this forward. Um, I am 100% in support of recognizing Overdose Awareness Day, um, which highlights a priority that is important and personal to me, and I have no doubt is important and personal to all of us in some way. However, I want to bring attention to the final resolved clause of this resolution, which reads, further resolved that the Board of Supervisors urges the Mayor's Office to open new wellness centers funded in the recently approved budget to provide life-saving support to drug users as soon as possible, especially as there has been no increase in service since the Mayor and District Attorney began the efforts to arrest drug users. This otherwise laudable resolution ends in a policy discussion about these centers or hubs, which are obviously a point of contention. Um, this is an issue that does not enjoy unanimous agreement on this board, and as I recall, this issue has never enjoyed unanimous agreement on this board, and I say that as a supporter of supervised consumption sites. Board Rule 2.1.2 provides that items on the for adoption without committee reference agenda are reserved for re routine resolutions, which are adopted by a unanimous vote of the board. Uh, before this meeting, I respectfully requested from the sponsor uh, if she was open to amending the resolution to re remove the third resolved clause so that we could focus squarely and unanimously on recognizing Overdose Awareness Day. Um, I, I respect that she has declined to do that. However, I'd like to make a motion to continue this item until next week uh, where it will be eligible for passage without a unanimous vote. If I may, I'd like to also address the issue of wellness hubs or wellness centers as they're now described here. I want to first reiterate that I remain a supporter of supervised consumption sites. In fact, I have supported this approach for more than a decade, going back to the 2011 mayor's race when I advocated for them and wrote a position paper for one of the leading candidates on what were then called safe, safe injection sites. Mm -hmm. And the reason I support them is because they fulfill the original and founding principles of harm reduction. 
which aims to address intrinsic as well as extrinsic harms of drug use. They reduce harms to the individual by putting drug users in an environment where we can make a life-saving medical intervention if someone goes into overdose. They also reduce harms to the community because we can tell residents who may object to these sites that this is doing something to get public drug use off of the streets and sidewalks. This reflects the, the harm reduction policy that was enact, enacted, I believe, in September 2020, 23 years ago, by the Health Commission, which, which explicitly said that this was about reducing harms to individuals as well as to the communities. While I remain a supporter of supervised consumption sites, the inability of our city and its nonprofit partners to assume the, the uh, legal risks at this time to offer supervised consumption services, in my view, diminishes the value of moving forward with what is a half-loaf approach that is now contemplated for what are, we're now sort of redefining as a different form of wellness hubs. I cannot, in good conscience, say to the residents I represent that a so-called wellness hub without supervised consumption services would do anything to reduce harms to the community by getting drug use off the streets. In fact, it is not even clear to me that wellness hubs, as they are now redefined, would comply with the terms of the opioid litigation settlements we just approved today, which require that the funding must be used for opioid abatement. I am unconvinced that acupuncture and laundry and related services meets those requirements. It makes no sense to me that we would fund and staff limited services for voluntary drop-ins by drug users at a time when we have an involuntary population of drug users in custody whose illegal conduct suggests a far more acute need for the life-saving care and overdose prevention services that we could offer. We should, and I quote, expand the availability of care coordination services offered to individuals released from the San Francisco jail. That is a direct quote from DPH's overdose prevention plan where it applies to strategic area two, aiming to strengthen community engagement and social support for people at high risk for overdose. Given the dormancy of supervised consumption services for the foreseeable future, I believe it is imperative that custodial treatment and recovery services now replace wellness hubs as the primary strategic cornerstone of our city's overdose prevention strategy. Finally, I do wanna clarify that my request to the mayor was not to reallocate the funding exclusively to jail health services which is a division of the Department of Public Health and apparently doesn't want or need the funding. But I described a more general approach that would be jail-based services, or as DPH phrased it, care coordination services offered to individuals released from the San Francisco jail. That may include nonprofit providers, it may include jail health services, but Sheriff Paul Miyamoto has certainly expressed his belief that these dollars could be put to important and life-saving use for the custodial and reentry populations, which we know are at vulnerable risk of overdose. Uh, much of this dispute feels to me a little bit like a bait and switch, and this was perhaps the danger of using euphemisms like wellness hubs or wellness centers, which can apparently mean different things to different people at different times. When we are ready to implement supervised consumption sites, let's do it. Until then, I cannot support a half-loaf approach of wellness hubs or wellness centers that are now envisioned as, the, uh, as these uh, services. That's why I'm urging the reallocation of $18.9 million for jail-based services. And with that, I move to continue this item until next week where it will be eligible for passage without a unanimous vote.
All right, motion to continue the item one week to September 12th, made by Supervisor Dorsey. Is there a second for that? All right, we'll take that without objection. Supervisor Chan. Thank you, uh, President Peskin. Um, thank you, Supervisor Ronan, for your leadership on this issue. Uh, and thank you so much for your passionate uh, remark. Uh, today, I think I first want to express my disappointments learning about the letter uh, proposed by our colleague Supervisor Dorsey during recess, you know, um, specifically referencing the agreements that we already have for budget. I wish if only we had this discussion before we voted on budget and signed the budget because that would have been critical conversation for us to have then about how we want to spend the money, how we want to dedicate the money. And I think the fact that we all have voted on it, particularly not speaking about it, um, it's disappointing to me uh, as your budget chair. I wish I had known about the concerns. Um, and with that said though, I think that uh, I for one am, I cannot claim expertise on, um, on the fentanyl crisis that we face. Uh, I cannot claim expertise uh, in terms of understanding the, the, what is really truly the best approach. What I do, though, believe is that time and time again, the way that we dealt with pandemic, and just like any other public health crisis, which I see this as one, is that we should look to the science, we should look to the people who are experts uh, in this field and guide us through what is the best approach. And as I'm learning, and I can understand, I think colleagues, we have different conversation about, you know, be it um, a, a overdose prevention strategy that contain, continue allowing people to use and then find their ways to stop using or manage the use to people that should have an abstinence approach to stop using altogether at once. I am open to all options because I think we're very different people. The way we approach this um, issues require multifaceted options and solutions. And I, I am with that, I wanna say it's the reason why I would like to be a co-sponsor of this resolution. And to say that, you know, I think that with this resolution, it referenced many things that we, I think that we can all agree on. You know, it does a reference to about the approach uh, including abstinence and then the, uh, also approach about how we make sure that this is actually a public health crisis, not a law enforcement issue and what we can do to make it uh, work. And that, you know, again, this is uh, also referencing the fact that with the wellness centers, uh, we have closed session in discussion. We have, you know, continue on conversation on what is the best model and best approach. I think those conversations can continue, but to somehow divert the funding from it, that stops the conversation. And I don't think that's what we want. And it's the reason why I'll be in support of this resolution today as a co-sponsor and definitely vote in support next week. Thank you. Thank you, Supervisor Chan, Supervisor Melgar. Uh, thank you, President Peskin. I would also be uh, like to be added as a co-sponsor to this resolution. Um, I, colleagues, am desperate to find solutions um, and new approaches because what we are doing is clearly not working. We are losing people every day. 
Um, we're not all on the same page, but we do have a consensus that we are supporting and putting our money where there is data and evidence that things work. So do we have everything figured out legally in our you know, uh, scheme of things? No, um, but I do trust that we are gonna be making progress and I want to keep moving forward on the things that we do have consensus on. Um, I wanna thank uh, the sponsor, Supervisor Ronan, for your uh, determination and support and I wanna thank you both, Supervisor Ronan and Supervisor Dorsey, for having taken the time to go to New York and look at the on-point uh, supervised uh, wellness centers and sites. Um, in the model of what works, what doesn't work, what's applicable, what lessons we can learn. So I wanna thank you both for your commitment. Um, and I want us all to take this uh, seriously and to support the efforts to keep moving the ball forward. I think there are very few things in our city that are more important than this. Um, and I wanna make sure that we don't stop the conversation, that we don't go back on the things that we've already discussed, put money forward towards in the budget, voted on, um, and that we uh, make sure that we at least uh, try the things that we know will work uh, to make sure that things are better for all our constituents. Thank you. Thank you, Supervisor Melgar. Supervisor Mandelman. Uh, thank you, President Peskin. Um, and I want to thank uh, Supervisor Ronan for um, her passion and desire to stop the deaths, um, which uh, is heartfelt and deep, and um, and I and I cannot question in any way. And I don't think it is that. Those of us who have concerns about uh, wellness centers are less concerned about the deaths or believe that um, the city does not need to act aggressively to um, stop overdose deaths. I think there are some of us on this board who are not convinced that the experts in the Department of Public Health actually have this completely right. And there are experts like Keith Humphreys, um, at, at Stanford, who was uh, Obama's drug czar, who believe that it is possible that we are creating an environment in San Francisco in which more people are overdosing precisely because we are creating the conditions in which more people are using and more people are using amounts of drugs um, uh, that, uh, that they would not be using other places and under other circumstances. I don't know what the right answer is. I uh, believe that it, I have supported safe consumption facilities. I don't think it, they're a horrible thing. I think they might be able to save some lives. I also don't believe that they are going to in any way uh, come close to solving the drug crisis that we have in San Francisco. And my concern about DPH's response to our drug crisis is that we are not moving towards being a city that actually um, moves people into recovery successfully, quickly, and supports them in their sobriety. We have folks, and Supervisor Stephanie has highlighted this, how we have our, our first responders trying to get people into, uh, into detox and unable to do that. We have uh, people saying, yes, I'm willing to go into treatment and waiting for uh, periods of time that no one should have to wait in this city. We have people completing 90-day treatment programs and then being released to the street. Um, and I know that there's no disagreement that, that uh, Supervisor Ronan is as horrified by those statistics as, as I am. I just am, um, as I think about the areas in which I think that we are failing as a city and where I would want to push the administration to do more, um, particularly after the experience of the Linkage Center, which I believed was um, a failure for the neighborhood, 
um, uh, I would be concerned about calling out wellness hubs as the piece that I think DPH needs to uh, push on. So I think there actually is a little bit of, I mean, uh, I'm glad uh, Supervisor Ronan is on the roster because I think there's a little bit of a question of whether there are um, eight votes next week or whether perhaps this ought to go to committee um, if we're going to have a policy conversation about it. But at any rate. Supervisor Preston. Thank you, President Peskin, and, and thank you, uh, Supervisor Ronan, for your uh, leadership on this uh, issue and on this resolution. And this is, I think, a, a perfect example of uh, a situation where I think that people in our city and the residents of our city need to look at what we, and I mean everyone in elected leadership or any kind of leadership in the city, what we do, not what we say. Like, I, I just, you know, and I'm not going to talk about individual comments here, maybe, but I, I just, like, at a certain point, you can't say, like, I'm in favor of supervised consumption sites, I'm in favor of wellness, I'm in favor, but here's how I'm going to, but then obstruct those things from happening. Like, and I, I, I appreciate uh, Supervisor Mandelman's comments on, on question, you know, I think at least being upfront if you have d doubts and we can agree and we can disagree at a policy level, but let's at least be honest with what we're doing. And I think the frustration that often uh, I certainly feel and my constituents feel is the complete mixed message and inconsistency between what we as a city are saying on this issue and what we are doing. And so we are almost at a year since the city released its overdose prevention plan. First overdose prevention plan ever in San Francisco. I'm very proud to have worked closely with Department of Public Health to put that together. Um, I don't think how Department of Public Health's plan was perfect, but I do say when it comes to dealing with a public health crisis, I'd rather be led by experts in public health than by a bunch of politicians, no matter how well-intentioned any of us are. Um, but it's been almost a year. I mean, and this is the frustration we saw boil over at the, the question time in which I asked the, the mayor whether we were going to issue the RFP. It's every conversation with Department of Public Health about when they're going to issue the RFP. And, and it's like you can cite the legal issues. And as Supervisor Ron has pointed out, New York figured out how to do all this. We can figure out how to do this. You can cite whether it's going to be the chicken or egg that comes first, all that. But we know how to make progress. We have providers who are saying they're ready and willing to go. The Department of Public Health tomorrow could get the green light from the mayor and issue RFPs out. And you know what? If the city attorney says you can't do it because of a legal issue, then it won't happen. If a nonprofit isn't willing to do the work to set one of these up, they're not going to respond to the RFP. So it's kind of time to like stop talking and start doing on this. We have an overdose prevention plan that the mayor and Department of Public Health signed off on. We have, I think, virtually, if not every member of this board, virtually, I, I think every member of this board who has said we are in favor of these sites. So what's going on? And what is going on, I will respectfully submit, has absolutely nothing to do with health policy. It's the exact same reason that our governor, who knows full well that safe consumption sites would save lives, chose to veto uh, as he entertains uh, his, uh, what his next steps are in his political future. Like, people aren't stupid. They know what's going on. And 
uh, and on this front, I just want to reiterate and want to really urge while we're considering this resolution, I look forward to voting for it, proud to co-sponsor it. Um, but I just, I, I want to urge, there are, there are moments when departments that have expertise need to stand up, and this is one of them. And to the director of our Department of Public Health, you know this intervention will save lives. It is in your department's overdose prevention plan, signed off on by everyone. You have an entire team of behavioral health experts who know that this will save lives. So if you need help drafting the RFP, I'm here for you. I'm happy to write it for you and send over a draft that you can send out. And like I said, if the city attorney has an issue with it, they'll weigh in before any contract is signed. If nonprofits don't want to do the work, they won't respond to the RFP. So let's stop tar talking and start doing it. Let's open wellness hubs immediately. Thank you. Supervisor Ronan. Yes, thank you, colleagues. I, I um, don't want to belabor points that I've already made, but I will just say this. Um, this Board of Supervisors, I've been here. I've been here for over a decade. I've been watching this conversation for over a decade. Everyone has said they agree that overdose prevention sites are a good public health intervention that saves lives. 200 cities around the world have them, have proven that with numerous studies, too numerous to mention. Right now, the city of New York has two of them. Rhode Island is on the verge of opening the first one. Minnesota is on the verge of opening its first one. The city attorney came to this board and said, we can do it under the New York model. Now, I had disagreements with him because I think we could do it easier. We can make it easier to open, but I gave up that fight because I'm like, he said we could do it under the New York model, then let's just do it under the New York model. Pick your battles, right? And yet, despite the fact through the chair, Supervisor Dorsey, that you say you're all for OPCs, well then what are you actually doing to open the OPCs? Because I'm doing that work every week. And your office has been there while I've been doing that work every week. And then without saying anything, you went backwards. But so what are you doing to open the OPCs? Because leadership isn't just saying we're for something and then just sitting back when we know it's not going to happen. Leadership is taking the power of our position, and we are supervisors. We have power. And making things happen using that power. So it's really nice that you theoretically agree, just like all the supervisors for the past decade have, that OPCs are a good thing. What are you doing to open them? What are you doing to open them? Because your legislative aide was in those meetings with me when I was working to open them. All right, without objection, item 15 is continued one week. That date, Mr. President, for the record, is September 12th. That would be true. That would be September 12th. Madam Clerk, could you please read item 16? Item 16, this is a resolution to commemorate the 50th anniversary of Bruce Lee's passing. Supervisor Stephanie. Oh, I'm sorry, item 17. Oh. My apologies. We <laughs> voted 17. for item 16. That was the only item we voted for. Item 17, please. Item 17, this is a resolution to recognize September 29th, 2023 as Korean Chuseok Day 
and honoring the Korean Center for its contributions to the Korean American community in the city and county of San Francisco. Supervisor Stephanie. Thank you, and we're going to end on a happy note. So, colleagues, I'm asking for your support for this resolution that designates September 29, 2023 as Chuseok Day also my former chief of staff, Andy Mullen's favorite holiday. Um, it's also known as Korean Thanksgiving and honors the Chuseok Day festivities hosted by the Korean Center, which is in District 2. Chuseok Day is one of the most important and wildly celebrated holidays, gosh, I need my glasses, in Korean culture and honoring it today is a fitting tribute to our Korean American community, which has con contributed so much to the history and culture of San Francisco. And I really want to thank and acknowledge the Korean Center, which I said um, is in District 2, for all that they do to keep the traditions of Chuseok Day thriving in San Francisco. They also provide so much educational, cultural, and social services for the past uh, 45 years. So I want to thank the Korean American community and to the Korean Center for all your decades of support. Um, best wishes to you all during Chuseok Day. And I want to encourage everyone to come out to District 2 to the Chuseok Day festivities at the main parade lawn in the Presidio on September 30th at 11 a.m. Thank you. Thank you, Supervisor Stephanie. Same house, same call. The resolution is a Supervisor Ronan. What do you want? And it will be noted that Supervisor Safai, Peskin, and Ronan are co-sponsors of item 17. Same house, same call, item 17 is adopted. <laughs> Madam Clerk, will you please read the in memoria? Yes, today's meeting will be adjourned in memory of the following beloved individuals. On behalf of Supervisor Peskin, for the late Miss Joan Joaquin Wood, Mr. R. Sherman Lehman, and Miss Nancy Werfel. We are adjourned. <laughs>